Hey, what's up, psychos? Welcome to another episode of Take Your Pill, Psychopath, the comedy podcast that exploits mental illness for personal profit. Trademark. I'm your host, John F. O'Donnell. I'm so excited about this week's show. I am here once again with Juliana Marr. Hey, Juliana. Hey, John. How's it going? Good. How are you feeling? Feeling good. Feeling good. A little tired, but good. Nice. Nice. How about you? I feel good. I'm excited. I'm excited about uh, the stuff we're going to go over because once again, (laughs) you psychos, we have scoured the entirety of the interwebs to find the most interesting articles about psychology and psychiatry uh, that exist through psychology today. And also the most generic images from Shutterstock that accompany them. Yes, yes. If you guys ever see any of these articles, which you don't even need to because we are reading them and going over them for you. We do the work so you don't have to, psychos. But if you do see the Shutterstock images, they are, let's say. They are generic but fun. Generic but fun. Yes. This one's just a hot girl. I won't say which article it is because we're going to get into it, but there's one that's just a hot girl looking. Looking hot. Looking hot. That never bothers anybody. Looking moody. She looks moody. That's it. Yeah, but she looks like Moody Hot. Yeah, oh, absolutely. What's but wrong she, with that? There's nothing wrong with it. It's just, what is this? Well, I, I got us into this because you did. I, I said we weren't going to say the article. Never mind. I'm feeling good, John. Okay, cool. <laughs> We're figuring it out. We're finding our rhythm. I have ADHD, actually. I know. We talked about that when you were interviewed properly on the podcast. We know. You have ADHD. You have OCD. We get it. Yeah, yeah. I have fucking bipolar one disorder, Juliana. Yeah, but I don't think moving papers is a symptom of that. You're right. You're so right. So you, so your life is easier than mine, is what I'm saying. Are you kidding me? My life is easy. I was, so, I was kidding. That is no, that but was listen, a needed joke. You want me to tell you about my fucking life? Okay. So Here there's. Here we go. Yeah, at the corner, the closest to me at the corner, there's a bodega, and they have coffee, right? But I don't like the coffee very much there. So, but they have Pellegrino. Mm-hmm. So I get the Pellegrino there, but then I have to walk to the, to the bodega that's down the corner, around, like that's across the street in order to get coffee because the coffee's better. I can't get my coffee and my San Pellegrino sparkling water at the same bodega. I have to walk an additional block to get it. You're going to tell me I don't have problems? Actually, that sounds really hard because at the place I work right now, they get a San Pellegrino at the office. So that actually does sound pretty hard. Wow. Yeah. Just throwing that in my face. Yeah, writer's rooms are cool, man. We got yeah. we got multiple types of sparkling water. I don't even have to pay for. And I steal it. Unreal. Mm-hmm. Well, whatever. I should do the plugs, right? Yeah, yeah. Plugs are good. Plugs are good. Okay, cool. We're going to do the plugs um, while Juliana just continues to just feel a superior because of her free access to sparkling water. It's really for the writers, not for me, but I take it anyway. You're a writer. She's a writer's assistant technically, but she's still a writer and she's going to end up being staffed at some point. It's inevitable. I love your faith in me and I agree. And everyone who's listening to this, if you have a television show, staff me. Yeah. That's how this happens. Yeah. Oh yeah. All right. So first thing, you know what? I'm going to switch up the plug order a little bit. Guys, psychos, drop us a line at takeyourpillspod at gmail.com in order to let us know what you're enjoying about the podcast. Let us know about any stories you have, anybody you want interviewed, any different topics, articles you find, stuff like that. Um, and if you don't just, like this weird new girl on here, tell us that too. We can change it. Yeah, don't don't say anything mean about Juliana. <laughs> no, I said I said you can, but John's yeah. right. Yeah. Just be nice. She says that, but she can't. Her, I can't her, actually take it. Don't be misled by my... Yeah, her fragile psyche yeah. will just crumble like sand in the wind. S- sand doesn't... Sand crumbles? In the wind. 
No. Sure. Just uh, let... you were you were doing plugs. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm sorry. So tell me. What would be cool is if you guys got on the newsletter jfodnews.com, uh, then you can find out about live touring dates and other information, like uh, what guests we're gonna have on the podcast. Social media at JFOD loves you would be great. And Juliana Mar is at Juliana underscore Maher. Mm-hmm. Um, so you can find her there as well. I would let you do it yourself, but you keep messing it up. I do keep messing. I know. I really appreciated that. That's good. Yeah. And then uh, also you can get on the Patreon. Really help us out at patreon.com slash JFOD. And then the last two things, spread the word about the podcast. Let people know. I mean, goodness gracious, we're using comedy to try to destigmatize mental illness. Come on. We're American heroes over here. We need more people to listen to this shit. We're using comedy to make it more digestible to have mental health conversations. Holy shit. Forget American heroes. I, I want to actually, well. What? Just heroes in general. Yeah. Yeah. We're heroes that transcend. Transcend. <laughs> Transcend national boundaries. The nation, the nation state paradigm. Yes, the nation state. Par- we should do a, should do an episode on how mental illness intersects with the nation state paradigm. I sound like I'm joking, but I'm not. Okay, I'm down. I mean, it sounds so interesting. Yes, but I, I I can't init- immediate. Well, I don't know, dude. We'll but, get there. We'll get there. Okay, but for today. But for today, let me. The last thing I want to plug is make sure you guys please rate and leave a review for the podcast. That'd be really great on Apple Podcasts. You can do that. You can do that on Spotify as well. So yeah, I mean, you guys know the deal. You guys know the deal. We're we're in in, we're independent podcast producers. We're psyched about what we're doing. We (laughs) we want psyched. Yeah, nice. I didn't even realize I was doing that. Um, But we would appreciate if you guys. yeah, just uh, contributed to the community. So thank you for listening. It means the world to us. And we are going to get into it right now. So Juliana. We got some articles. Should we get into it? Yeah, we should. Okay. First one, we I believe we teased last week. We did. We did tease this article in last week's episode because we didn't have time to get to it. So we're going to start with it this week. It is entitled, Research Says You Can Be Both Authentic and Dishonest. Interesting. Mm. Intriguing. The relationship between honesty and authenticity is complex. We got some key points. Honesty means truthfulness, whereas authenticity refers to accurately expressing one's core values and inner qualities. All right. Interesting. Mm -hmm. Research shows that authenticity sometimes requires deception. Whoa. Interesting. That sounds like sort of an invitation to lie and feel good about it. It does. Let's see what he means. Or at least justify it for sure. Yeah. Yeah. What determines if deception is seen as authentic is whether it is internally driven and motivated by pro-social reasons. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. I'm going to read some more. Does being authentic mean being honest all the time, sharing your true feelings and opinions no matter what? For instance, should you tell your boss his cologne smells like gasoline? Got it. I mean... You should probably. Yeah, I mean, if that could be a fire hazard. Yeah, he might be about to light himself on fire. Yeah, I, that is an authentic. That's authentic to you and me, John, and maybe not the writer of this article, but that's yeah. on them. Yeah, 
Should you tell your spouse that her brother's business ideas are beyond terrible? If she wants you to invest in them, then absolutely. Yeah. Tell a friend's little girl that her drawings of the family dog looks more like a strange table with eyes. If yes, then answer these two questions. <laughs> we were, I think we were two for three, so. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Does speaking in this way make you, one, feel more authentic, and two, seem more authentic to others? A recent paper by Bailey and Iyengar from Columbia University attempts to answer these and related questions about the complex relationship between honesty and authenticity. All right. All right. Honesty and authenticity. Why don't you read some? All right. I Yeah. Uh, honest, we begin with a few definitions, which is helpful. I always prefer if definitions start yeah uh at the beginning because i have some issues with the definitions in their intro but it's fine an honest person is one who is sincere and truthful an authentic person is one whose behavior reflects his or her deep feelings core values and inner qualities therefore authenticity includes more than the frank expression of what comes to mind after all an individual's true self consists of many changing thoughts feelings and identities some of which he or she may not be conscious of or understand in fact, it is even possible to be authentically dishonest, meaning to tell lies in a way that feels true to oneself. What? Uh, if so, how? Uh, there are four possibilities. This is in, in okay. terms of the study, at least. Okay, before um, you get into these four possibilities, I want to just try to understand this. In fact, it is even possible to be authentically dishonest, meaning to tell lies in a way that feels true to oneself. It's interesting. I, I do, I am familiar with the concept, not, not, I guess, in a psychology study way, but I am, I would agree with that I, that there's such a thing as being, but I would not call it authentically dishonest. I would say being dishonest in a way that remains authentic to oneself. But I guess they're just trying, you know, maybe it's just, I feel I'm like that's what they're words. Authentically dishonest. Maybe the examples will help. The examples probably help. These occur when, and then the examples are in parentheses. These being instances when you can be uh, telling lies in a way that feels true to oneself. When you can be authentically dishonest. Mm -hmm. When honesty threatens the need of the individual, for example, an employee admitting to a minor mistake at work may get them fired. Okay. Self-deception makes honesty impossible. For example, a widower lying to himself that his wife's death has not affected him cannot help but repeat the same lie to others. Okay. Mm. Honesty jeopardizes one's relationships. It says like a woman may worry about being honest with her husband about how her erotic fantasies could damage the relationship. Okay. It's interesting. That to me doesn't seem like you're really being authentic. I can understand. I totally understand why, but that that's that one kind of let's finish the list, sorry. Yeah. Honesty poses a threat to another person's well-being. The example they give is a person may fear that telling the partner of an abused victim her whereabouts can endanger the victim's life. We've got a whole spectrum of examples there. Um So all of those examples are of being authentically dishonest. Okay, I get it. I kind of get it. So it's being yeah. like it's being true to your core. Your values. Your values. Rather than to the, the simple version of the truth. Yeah. But you're right. I don't understand how that one works for the uh, the woman worrying about being honest with her husband about erotic fantasies. Right. That, well, I mean, she's afraid that it could damage, damage the relationship. The relationship. I, I get that. But, 
But I mean, to me, uh, part of being, I mean, and this, I guess, reflects my personal values, but to me, that's a being honest with the people you're in close relationships with, not a neighbor or boss, but like a partner is pretty important to having an authentic relationship. I guess if the, her sexual fantasies weren't like important to her, I could see them just not coming up, I guess. But yeah. that that one is, uh, I would say that's a bit of a thorn in my side. Maybe not their best example. Yeah, yeah. Maybe a better example would be, yeah, no, I don't know. A woman may worry about being honest with her husband about how her erotic fantasies could damage the relationship. Because maybe, okay. I could see how people could not, could, it wouldn't make them feel bad. Like they, I could see how it's, they could feel it was justified. I, I don't see how it would still feel authentic. Yeah, unless the relationship is more of the core value of the person than the erotic fantasies. Yeah, I guess. I, I mean, the thing that like came to mind, I was like, okay, I'm just trying to think of another version of honesty jeopardizes one's relationships. I was like, well, you know, there are people who are, are gay who don't tell or talk about it with their parents because they know. But then I'm like, that is usually something that makes people feel very inauthentic. So that's not a great example either. Those people, gen- I, everyone I've known who has that feels like it's a really eats away at them and it's not yeah. a thing that they're very happy with. Um, they may be justified in it for sure because their parents would not accept them for all the different reasons and they feel safest, but uh, it doesn't strike me as authentic. So that one, That's an odd one. Yeah. I, I think that they're trying to make a point, so uh, uh, it's a bit nitpicky, but I do take issue in general with the idea that they're portraying honesty as if you to be honest you have to say everything you think of um i think that there's a difference between honesty and authenticity and they're actually making a a fair point about that or they're they're not one concept but also telling someone unsolicited that their cologne smells like gasoline is not an example of honesty if someone asks you if their cologne smells like gasoline and it does saying yes sure yeah, let's get to let's get into it because there's so much more to this. Yeah, and we're we're being so nitpicky. We are. We couldn't even get past this erotic fantasies. <laughs> I mean, it's significant because they give four categories, and that's one of the four. But yes, I agree. Let's keep yeah. going. Okay. The difficulties of being authentic and honest with oneself and others. In general, authenticity requires awareness of one's inner states. One and two, truthful expression and communication of these states. But as noted noted above, we are not always honest with ourselves. In fact, self-deception is a major obstacle to becoming aware of inner states and communicating them to others. For instance, we often try to hold on to unrealistically positive self-beliefs, which requires interpreting new information in ways that are biased in favor of making us feel good. Some examples of unrealistically positive self-views are Quote, I am much better than the average person. And quote, my true self is better and more moral than other people's true selves. Okay, next section. Can people even tell that we are being authentic? This I found to be pretty interesting. Since others do not have access to our inner states, only we do, and in a limited way, they cannot tell with certainty whether we are being authentic. Therefore, they rely on mental shortcuts and rules of thumb called heuristics. Heuristics. Do you know what that means? I do from this article. Yeah, I didn't. I've heard the word before, but I didn't know it before this article. Did you? I don't Maybe. think so. 
It was certainly it's certainly not a word I would have used in casual conversation. Yeah, I think Here, I, I've read it. I must have read it before, but I. Yeah, let's keep going. Heuristics in turn are influenced by factors such as context. Specifically, context determines whether self-expression may be perceived as genuine or fake. Mm. Okay, let us take a look at a few examples. Okay, so self-expression may be perceived as genuine or fake based on contextual determinations. That makes sense. Right. Okay, cool. I just reset the sentence with moving the words around. Mm -hmm. It's pretty cool. Okay. Cultural context. In China, describing one's likes only, only what one likes, is associated with being genuine. Interesting. Whereas in Germany, this is true of describing both likes and dislikes. Mm. Okay. That's a very interesting example. Yeah. What happens if someone in China starts to describe their dislikes? I don't know, but perhaps it, it sounds like they're... I mean, we would have to look it up, but I would imagine then it could come off as being... Uh, Unnecessary, inappropriate, unnecessarily um, judgmental, or because I mean, yeah. Wow. So in China, describing one likes only sort of being genuine. So think about that. I mean, we bitch and whine and moan about things all the time, and it's like there's some venting there. There's a catharsis, and that's certainly seen as an aspect of being genuine. Yeah, most people. It's certainly in American culture. Uh, if you are presented with somebody who never ever complains or even or not only never complains but doesn't even state things that they they don't like that is certainly i would say a cultural marker in our in, in american culture i would find that person creepy and weird and certainly not <laughs> genuine yeah yeah it's creepy and weird and not creepy wow. and weird if they were being genuine otherwise just fake <laughs> yeah 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 okay but not in china but in germany At they do more both. western culture so it's closer to yeah closer to american Political context. A dishonest political leader is more likely to be seen as authentic by a voter if the two share a constituency and if the voter feels the political system is unlawful. That was a really interesting one. This one does not track for me. Really? Yeah. More likely to be seen as authentic by a voter if the two share a constituency. All that means is that the it person is in their district. No, it, I think in, in this case, it's if they are constituency in, in literal terms it means, yes, district. But I think in this mean terms, it means they share values. Oh, to, well, that's a shitty word to use there. Yeah, it is a little misleading because it's specifically discussing political leader. But that is that is constituency meaning like, um, yeah, like it, value system. Essentially, yes. Worldview. Yes, loosely. Yeah. Sarah can Yeah, but that's a terrible. That's like it's a poor word choice. I strongly agree. Super, super confusing. Okay, so let's say, okay, share a constituency, and if the voter feels the political system is unlawful. Right. Hold on. The political system is unlawful. Right. <laughs> you Okay, well, first of all, you're saying the political system. This is saying in whatever context it is. We're not just talking about one political system. You're talking about America. This is saying, in general, a person in any country with any political system. Yeah. The word constituency is problematic. The... <laughs> <laughs> you're just I take I, this is what i do you're just dissecting the sentence and everything that's wrong which is totally what i do yeah and i'm on board this is a funny i like this reversal a dishonest political leader is more likely to be seen as authentic by a voter if the two share a constituency as in like i share the same ideas and if the voter feels the political system is unlawful yeah a dishonest political leader is more likely to be seen as authentic because they're a dishonest 
Right. If you see the the um, if you see a political system as inherently unlawful and inherently corrupt, when you see someone who is not following the rules, who's lying, you are more likely to see that behavior as authentic because you see them as rebelling against a corrupt system. Yeah, but most political leaders are dishonest. Right. And people are more accepting of that if they feel that those leaders agree with them and are in a system that's set up to make them look dishonest. Wow. I think that if you go to the next one, it's a very similar thing and maybe it will help you with context. Okay. Personal ideology. Politically incorrect language is considered more authentic when it aligns with an observer's own ideology and prejudices. Right. So does that does that one make more sense to you? Yeah, that tracks a bit more. So I think that really the personal and political, those are actually not as dissimilar as, as kind of you're picturing them. Like the politically incorrect language, basically when we hear someone using derogatory or language that is offensive, it feels real to us if the people it's offending are people that we have prejudice against. Because we're like, yeah, they are telling it like it is. We feel only... We only feel like they're telling it like it is if they, what they're using is corresponding with our pre-held beliefs. So similarly, if you somewhat similarly, if you have a dishonest political believer, a dishonest po political leader, and they're in a system that you recognize as as being fucked up and unlawful, then when they do things that when they lie, you it feels to you more like they are exposing the truth. Yeah, I get it. I do get it, but I just, I don't like the way he used the word constituency. That's your right as an American. <laughs> okay, so what do we got here? You want to read the next section? I think it's yeah. coherence, morality, and authenticity. Yeah, in order to make sense of the complex relationship between being truthful and genuine, we need to understand a few additional terms. Other and self-concept. These terms refer to the mental image of another person or oneself. Coherence. Coherence means that an individual's behavior makes sense, is predictable, and seems consistent with what we know about them. So we got other and self-concept, and we've got coherence. We are more likely to feel authentic when our self-concept is coherent. Similarly, a stranger's behavior appears genuine if our mental image of them is coherent. Therefore, it is only when honesty boosts coherence that it predicts authenticity. Specifically, high authenticity results from a combination of both high honesty and and high coherence that this to me was this mo the most interesting part yeah, yeah. of basically saying we will perceive so if we have we have images and, and ideas in our mind of of how people are and how they reliably act so and we are trained we are fallible in a, in a way very fallible to those preconceived notions such that i will perceive you as more authentic if you john i line up do something that lines up with what I perceive to be consistent with who you are, then if you tell the truth about something that I tell the truth about something that I think doesn't line up with who I imagine you to be. Yeah. Um, it's a way that our brain. That was very well put. Yeah. A person if does something outside of the patterns that we preconceived already have for them, we will think that they are acting or telling us something that's not true. Yeah. Even it's when kind it is. of like, Let's say I'm like in the throes of like a manic episode. My behavior will change in a way that doesn't track with maybe the coherence that uh, I would normally have. So people would sort of see this, would sort of initially see this behavior as not being genuine. Yeah. Or in a larger and, and often more problematic way, I think a way that we see this, the same thing is that we have perceptions of, you know, what 
a black person is like, what a gay person is like. And when people depart from those stereotypes or those preconceived notions, there can be within that, within the culture and from the outside, like there can be a sense that person is not that gay person who like a gay man who is not at all effeminate. People may have this idea that that person is, is lying to himself or not expressing himself being gay. Similar, like people have ideas about, you know, what constitutes whether a person is being authentically black or authentically a certain culture that I think that is really where you see it in a large scale. Yeah, I think you're right. So we are more likely to feel authentic when our self-concept is coherent. Yeah. And that makes sense. It does. Want to keep reading? Sure. Um, morality matters too. When dishonesty is perceived as moral, so pro-social lies rather than hypocrisy, the resultant ba- behavior seems more genuine. So, you know, if we find out, going back to, I think the most sympathetic of the examples they gave, few among us would find out that a friend had lied to someone's abuser about their location and think that that made them an inauthentic person. Um, yeah, yeah, that yeah, yeah. pro-social lies. Um, Certainly that's a pro-social lie. That's an extreme, yeah. Um, in general, to be interpreted as authentic deception must be motivated by benevolence, loyalty, or other pro-social personal values, protecting someone from harm. So that same example. When it, this is the case, deception is seen as internally motivated and coherent with the person's self-concept. Yep. Okay. So that's more explanation yeah. of authenticity and, and then and how deceiving deceiving others when it is for pro-social reasons can be, uh, I guess, justified. Yeah. Or not just justified, but considered consistent. Yeah. I think that, yeah, that's yeah. the key. It considered consistent with the values that you're presenting. So people still feel they can trust you because even though you're not telling the truth, you're doing things consistent with the value they expect from you. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So in the next section, concluding thoughts on honesty and authenticity. The famous philosopher Jean-Jacques Rousseau. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes they just need a way to end a, end a, an article. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, I know that is funny. But also, I thought you were laughing because I said the famous uh, philosopher. Oh, I didn't even hear that. Yeah. That's pretty funny. It was so coherent with who you are as a person. <laughs> I didn't even register. It just felt genuine. I was. I would not be inauthentic with you. <laughs> A philosopher, someone that like <laughs> studies uh, falafel. Mm, probably a white guy like on study abroad. Thinking about the existential crises mm-hmm. surrounding dry falafel. Dry falafel. Okay. It's too dry. Sure. You know? Okay. The famous philosopher, <laughs> Jean-Jacques Rousseau, apparently believed that to be authentic. <laughs> such funny. Thing. Apparently believed. Sorry, go on. Yeah. To be authentic, one must be honest at all times even brutally honest and resist society's restrictions and demands. He sounds like a fun guy to hang out with. (laughs) However, there is more to authentic self-expression than challenging (laughs) social norms through compulsive sincerity and unfiltered communication of every passing thought, feeling, urge, etc. Society and its rules are not enemies of authenticity. In fact, authenticity is not only an individual but also a social construction. In other words, sociocultural context plays an important role in creating and shaping self-concept, e.g. through social comparison and social validation. Nor is deception the enemy of genuine self-expression. Deception can be authentic when internally driven and motivated by personal values, e.g. loyalty, compassion, kindness, and pro-social goals, 
e.g. protecting another person's health and well-being. In short, both honesty and dishonesty may be necessary for the pursuit of a genuine and coherent self. What matters the most is becoming more aware of our inner states and being true to ourselves. So lie when you need to, basically. Lie when you gotta lie. Do what you gotta do, you know? To try to stay true to your values. Maybe sometimes you gotta tell the truth. Sometimes you gotta be deceptive in order to maintain your authenticity. Mm-hmm. Well, maintain your coherence. I, th- I do think that um, a key point of this is that authenticity it is a socially is a social perception um it's both a social perception externally yes. but it's also an internal yes, state absolutely and i think most interesting to me is that i think you could argue and find instances when being authentic to oneself will make you seem inauthentic to others yeah i think you're right as but at least as defined by the article i th- yes i think if somebody has in their internal state Maybe they have a belief system or an opinion that is contrary to the social compact of the subculture of people that they're in. Or even it's just not coherent with how they normally behave. Some people have aberrations and, and yeah, people, and we just as humans, we are, we're conditioned, not conditioned, we're pre-wired to want to shorthand other people. I feel like we have to. Yeah, Absolutely. Um, but it's, a, it's to, one of the things that is comes at a cost. We yeah. have to, but it, it comes at a cost. Yeah. So that's interesting. That piece, <laughs> that piece was interesting. Yeah. Okay. This was, I think was really interesting. This article, it is called silencing our inner critic after attachment trauma. This is very interesting stuff because early attachment figures are super, super important and really do affect people's lives. Um, so this is a great, this is some great skills here to try to overcome that inner critic because it's a very hard thing to do. So let's get into it. One of the most common after effects of childhood attachment trauma is the development of a harsh inner critic that replaces a person's inner voice. By nature, we are hardwired to connect with others which teaches us how to love and respect ourselves. However, attachment trauma from abuse, neglect, abandonment, or invalidation forces a child to adapt to punitive environments where their sense of self becomes compromised. Instead of feeling connection and safety with those in their life, they learn survival mode. Instead of learning self-love and self-advocacy from a healthy upbringing, they forgo accepting themselves in exchange for compulsively trying to become what they believe their caregivers will want. Yeah. I mean, I know people that had got dealt a rough hand in terms of parents, parents that were dealing with their own shit, you know, parents that were reckless um, and they had rough early attachment figures, you know? And now they are dealing with this this inner critic voice and it's really strong and it's really powerful. And they have to be constantly vigilant in order to keep some of these uh, critiques and things like self-critiques and self-loathing at, at bay. You know, mm. it's interesting. You want to read some? Uh, sure. Uh, what is What is our inner critic? Anyone can develop negative feelings towards their choices or behavior, especially in vulnerable moments. However, what separates negative feelings from a cruel inner critic 
is a sense of worthlessness at its core message. Negative feelings based on making a poor choice can relate to guilt, whereas the messages connected to an inner critic relate to shame. Thus, negative feelings associated with guilt may include a person saying, I made a mistake, whereas the message received from shame may include, I am a mistake. Yeah. Common inner critic messages and how to overcome them. One, comparisons. Children are not hardwired to compare themselves to others. This learned behavior results from socialization, including, among other things, constant nagging, minimizing, dismissiveness, and invalidation from demanding or even abusive parents. For example, if a parent is high in narcissism and values image over their child's emotional health, they may nitpick the child for bringing home a B on a test while shaming the child that they should have done better. Or they may compare their child's weight or looks to the child's friends by devaluing them in front of others. When the child grows into an adult, they may wrongly believe that they are not good enough and may make mental comparisons on everything from what car others drive compared to themselves, to what degree they have, to how they look, which keeps them stuck in a perpetual loop of comparing themselves to others. Okay? So now this next section is about overcoming these comparisons. It's important that a person learn to identify their emotional triggers to help minimize falling down a rabbit hole of comparing themselves to others. Once these are recognized, it can become easier to work through them without comparing them. For example, if you notice that you tend to begin comparing yourself to your friend's achievements, it's important to notice this as a potential trigger. Then you can counteract it by reminding yourself of your own accomplishments as worthy and valid albeit different from your friend's accomplishments. Yeah. I mean, this is something that a lot of people struggle with. It is. Um, it definitely is. I would say this was not my favorite article. Um, not because anything it's discussing is not important, kind of on the contrary. Well, actually, let's get through the next one because I think my issue with it is is related to this concept. Okay, that sounds good. Two, all or nothing thinking. Shame is the breeding ground for all or nothing thinking and behavior. Children who grow up being conditioned to wrongly believe their value hinges on their accomplishments or how good they make their parents look are subliminally learning the foundation for all or nothing thinking. For example, if a child scores at the top of their class, their parents may dote on them as the best. This conditioning can breed a slippery slope of unspoken expectations or conditions of worth where the child is only shown attention or acceptance when performing to their caregiver's expectations. As adults, they may learn to associate their worthiness with their success. All thinking or their inner critic may take center stage if they don't live up to their own expectations they have set for themselves. Nothing thinking. Okay, um, that's confusing. There was like weird parentheses and shit going on in this, mm -hmm. in this, uh, in this paragraph. All or nothing thinking leads to a person's behavior being aligned with these kinds of cognitive distortions where they either perform excessively or don't bother trying at all. Yeah, I strongly agree with you about the, the, the use of parentheticals and the use of quotation marks in that paragraph, not, not the clearest. Yeah. Uh, what's interesting to me, sorry. Go for it. What's interesting about me, so this is actually my biggest issue with the art, my fundamental issue with the article is that it's really, um, it's very conditional on either you have had attachment trauma because of uh, abuse, neglect, abandonment, or not. 
But I think that everything that they've talked about is something that happens on a spectrum. I think that's fair, but there, okay, I think there's still more article to read. There is, um, but I just want to point out that the all or nothing thinking, I think actually, it's funny that they bring that up because I think that's a, that is a very accurate way to describe this. They keep talking about when a Ooh, child goes through, point. when a child goes through this, like as a, like even the words they use, as opposed to having a healthy upbringing. I think it's actually pretty unhelpful from a psychology point of view to say that as though there is type there is all or nothing in terms of either you have a healthy upbringing or you don't there is i i agree and that is a very interesting insight the idea of he's creating like a other a, a binary sort of situation yeah um but what i do want to say is there is such thing as unreliable attachment figures absolutely However, I think the way that he point, paints it as either a parent is unreliable or reliable, I think there there are, I mean, there are always extreme cases of abuse and neglect uh, that are easily easy to qualify, quantify and qualify. But I think, or I know, at least from my personal experience and from the experience of others, that you can have attachment trauma from people who are not necessarily what you would consider classically abusive. That can happen with kids and I don't think it's necessarily helpful to only talk about attachment trauma in the idea of it can only happen with. I feel a, like the. I feel like he's not. I feel like he's not overtly saying that. He's saying you he's know? saying you, this will ha- this will happen if you don't have a good childhood or a healthy upbringing. Yeah, but that is what happens if you don't have. It, it, it's like it's like these same patterns happen. I know a lot of people that have been dealt that sort of hand, and they're dealing. It's in idiosyncratic ways, but they're still dealing with the same issues. They're dealing with this inner critic that is like that. Right. But I'm saying he is saying that you can only have kind of a good childhood or a bad childhood. And I think there are a lot of people who would not classify themselves as having necessarily been abused who have these issues that he is talking about. Where does he say that you can only have a good or bad one? He says he doesn't say that you can only have a good or bad one. He says attachment comment from abuse, neglect, abandonment or invalidation forces a child to become this way. He also said children are not hardwired to compare themselves, which I don't think is true. Well, well, now but you're separate, talking about something thing. else. But sorry, including among other things, constant nagging, minimizing dismissiveness and invalidation from demanding or even abusive parents. Yeah. Okay. So self-hate slash self-neglect. Is that where we're at? No, mm-hmm. we're not there. So, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Never there. Well, we're at overcoming all or nothing thinking. Oh, sorry. I think, right. Go for it. Overcoming all or nothing thinking, learning to express fewer all or nothing thoughts is important for helping overcome this pattern. Common expressions include using words like all, nothing, always, never, and everything. It's also important to begin relabeling these types of all or nothing thoughts as they surface to reduce these distortions. For example, never or always can be changed to sometimes, (laughs) all right, Which, which is more inclusive and less absolute in its approach. Then this third point, self-hate versus self-neglect. Or self-hate, sorry, self-hate. Slash, yeah. I got it. Self-hate slash self-neglect. You want to read that part? Sure. Children raised in families with traumatizing parents are also being raised to believe that they have no value or worth. As a result, many turn their caregivers' abuse onto themselves in the form of self-hatred and self-neglect. 
As adults, this pattern may generalize into self-sabotaging behavior where trauma enactment is likely. For example, a person may be unconsciously attracted to narcissistic or predatory types that negatively enforce these toxic... Reinforce. Reinforce, thank you. Reinforce these toxic inner critic messages based on self-hate and self-neglect. Yes, and I know for a fact that there are people who are who have had narcissistic parents who are finding themselves being sucked into relationships with narcissistic people. Oh, yeah. I mean, that that's a new, very, very common thing. I, I, yeah, but it's a common thing, but it's important and worthwhile of, to talk about and to know about. You yeah, know absolutely. I, mean? I We don't, I don't, because we're not it, disagreeing on that at all. Yeah, no, I know. I'm just, oh, I'm okay. just saying, I'm just saying that as a point. Oh, yes, yeah, absolutely. I mean, that is, it's a really tragic and one of the most, I think one of the most strongly seen patterns of, like the, that uh, the uh, specifically narcissism, narciss having narcissistic parents, yeah. In terms of predictions of future relationship issues, yeah, it sucks. It's not fair. Yeah, you know, it's really not fair. No, narcissism, narcissism, and NPD is a really we we talked about that a little last time, right? That it's, I think it's, we touched on it. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I'm sure we will be talking about it a ton moving forward. There's always interesting pieces coming out about it. Absolutely, yeah. Um, I did a and yeah, and the effect on children is just devastating. Yeah. No, I did a I did a mic last night and I was talking about being bipolar on stage and then somebody got on after me and was like, Hey John, you have bipolar disorder, but I have borderline personality disorder. I'm one upping you with my personality disorder. <laughs> I was like, I guess you got me there. Yeah. I was like, like Cool. Cool. Yeah. I guess on the hierarchy of mental illnesses, you just owned me. <laughs> okay. Overcoming self hate slash self neglect. At the root of self-hate and self-neglect are conditioned beliefs that they aren't good enough to be loved or cared for. Healing from this pattern typically, typically includes learning to observe the inner critic's message from the outside looking in. When a person changes their perspective on how they hear the message, it can become easier to take steps to challenge the inner critic and call it out on its toxic messages. That's a little vague, isn't it? It is a little vague. I... I, I agree. I think that that's the most, maybe the most important paragraph of the entire thing is, is giving people, and I appreciate this is a, a short article. You require therapy to go through that. I think that maybe half of this article could have been devoted to some solutions. Uh, ac yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah. As opposed to vague is a good way to put it. So raises interesting points, but maybe could have gone. Yeah. So this one, let's say, I'm going to go on, on a limb and say not Juliana's favorite. Not, not my favorite. Yeah. Super I, important topic, to be clear. Yeah. Super important research. Yeah. I guess I'm so fascinated by or so interested in these early attachment figures mm. uh, and all of the kind of like psychology theory around that. Very interested in that. I think what I was maybe not saying well was there are definitely like extreme, you know, there's, I think there's. All parenting is a spectrum, right? Uh, there is no such thing as a perfect parent. And there are also on the opposite of the spectrum, there are serious and, and horrific abusers. And then there's also all kinds of trauma and damage that can be inflicted by, by, by parents who are doing their best and who are relatively normal people and who don't. I who, agree with that 100%. Who, yeah, no, I, I'm not saying you disagree. I, I'm saying I was articulating this badly earlier. I I guess the language that was used in the in the article, and you're right that you as you pointed out, I, I struggled to find it exactly. So part of that was probably how I was reading it. I found the way the article, the, just the language in the article, made me feel as though it was a 
a kind of thing of if this is a thing that's happened to you, you were an abused child. If this is the thing you struggle with, you were an abused child, which I think can be isolating for people reading it because most people, few people have such extreme childhoods that they are comfortable saying, I had abusive parents. Most of us have, you know, very complex relationships with our parents. And I think it can stop people from reflecting on, on if they're having these problems because they're like, I don't want to categorize myself, my parents as being abusers. I got you. I get it. I think that's, that's kind of my issue with the phrasing. Okay. It's limit. I think it can be limiting in that way. Okay. That's fine. I, I, I see what you're saying. Clearly I have like some, (laughs) there's yeah, but we'll go more into that one another time. I get it. You can I, have- I, I have issues with my childhood, I guess, that I, I think are definitely connected to my parents, but I also would not like describe them in wholesale terms. So I, it could, it, clearly it's a personal thing and it gets under my skin. <laughs> Fair enough. I mean, we can explore it a little bit if you want. We can do it. I think it's a longer, it's a longer conversation, but. Give us a, give, tease it. Well, like I, my parents definitely, I have, you know, I love them and I, I would not, qual- I certainly would not describe them as like, you know, this describes kind of like narcissists and abusers, and that's not yeah, at no, all like how I my, parents, my parents. All of our parents fuck us up in different yeah, ways. Yeah, that, that's not how I describe my parents, but I also think that some of the, and I also think that some of the things they, they describe here. What are you talking, what, what were you going to say about your parents? I was just, I was going to say, like, I think that, like, my parents made some things that I, definitely I have attachment issues because of choices they made and things that they did, but I wouldn't necessarily call it abuse, and I certainly wouldn't call it narcissism in their case. So I find the language here. No, I know unhelpful. that. I know what I know about that. I'm yeah. trying to get the specifics. Um, but we don't have to talk about we can, it. We can, we we'll can't talk, we'll talk about, about it in the future. It, it, yeah, we, I'm, I'm very open to talking about it. I actually just did Andrea Allen and um, Emily's podcast, Hot Mess, which is a great podcast. I didn't, where we went really far into it. I'm just aware that it's like a 30 minute kind of conversation. So. Okay. Well, yeah. Well, well, we'll talk about it another time. Yeah. Yeah. I would love to also hear your thoughts on at another time on or now on your parents. Well, I'll tell you. You know, I love Pam. Yeah, my mom is Pam. I have a joke about her that Juliana likes. Um, so the um, no, what I say, I used to have a joke about how I was overloved by my parents growing mm-hmm. up, and how that's like fucked me up because now if everything doesn't work out in my life per- perfectly, I can't handle it. <laughs> You know what I mean? Be like, like if a girl's not like a woman's not attracted to me, I'm like, you're not attracted to me, me. Me? Are you kidding me? Like, you know what I mean? Like, um, my, are you aware that my mother told me that I'm the most handsome boy in all of the land? <laughs> of all the boys in all the lands, I'm the most handsome one. Want to fuck me now? <laughs> want to fuck me now? Who wants to fuck me now? You want to fuck me? And then it was like, oh, it was like a long, long bit. But, <laughs> but I will bit. tell you, I will tell you, I think I really do think that I've gotten better at it. And, but I, at times in my life, I've certainly had ego, ego issues. Interesting. And, and I, um, certainly, certainly had to overcome a sense of entitlement for real. I, I really did have that when I was younger, but good thing my life's going so poorly. <laughs> Finally, you got humbled. Yeah. That's, so that's thank been God. That's been humbling. But yeah, I mean, if you knew me when I was younger, I was definitely more like I deserve the world. And I'm very grateful that my parents have always been <laughs> very loving, you know, um, but so funny. But dial it back, I guess. No, but no, it is it is just it is just funny that even like 
you can be overloved that can actually have its own problems yeah. relative to the real world that you have to live right. in. Right. Overloved and over it sounds like maybe overpraised handsomest of all boys in all lands. Oh, dude, I was I was the golden boy growing up. Yeah, that's oh, that was really clear from that. <laughs> you know what I mean? So yeah, yeah, so, yeah. That's, that's but I point. even though my parents got divorced, I did have what would be called reliable attachment figures. Mm, like love mm-hmm. was always there. I mean, there's other ways that I've been been fucked up by my parents too. I mean, oh, parents yeah. are just people. They are just trying their best. You know, or sometimes they're trying their best. Right. But, uh, sometimes. Yeah, but <laughs> but uh, none of us get through unscathed. We're we're all just human, you know. And I don't think that this. Uh, I, I don't know. The article's fine. The article is fine, for God's sake. I'm much more critical than John, if, if you can't tell. So, yeah, put a pin in it. We'll talk <laughs> we'll, about... We'll circle back. We'll circle back. We'll talk about your complex relationship with your parents Yeah. at another time. Is there a way that you could tease it in one to two sentences, or is that impossible? Mm. Or should we just move on? That, no, that's such a good question. Um, okay, I definitely always felt that I had love in my life and from my parents, but I did not have reliable attachment figures at the same time. Wow. That is a great way to tease it. Yeah. I'm a good tease. (laughs) (laughs) I think we have, yes, great. I want, I think we have for one more and this is the one that I really wanted to get to. Okay, cool. Oh, this is the one you're interested in? Oh, okay. So yeah, just because it goes back to something we were talking about last last week. Okay, yeah, last week, as you psychos know, if you listened, um, I really was railing against social media, hardcore, um, hardcore, and we uh, really ruining my vibe. Yeah, I was really undermining Juliana's vibe, which I like to do. Mm-hmm. So I thought we would double back and double down mm-hmm. and. Take a further look into social media. So this one is called How to Use Social Media Without Losing Your Mind. This yeah. seems worthwhile to know about, doesn't it? Yeah. I mean, you've already, you're already far gone, but people listening might be able to use it. I'm doing fine. You're doing great. Handsomest boy in all the lands. I've been far gone, but I am, I'm here. You're dude. doing, you're doing great. I'm present. I'm clicking on all cylinders. I'm doing good. I'm writing you are. bits. You are. You are. You did. And uh, I will say that right away, even before I saw this, this is one of my favorite type of articles because it's um, it's a realist. It's a way to kind of meet in the middle on what's realistic of uh, this. Well, we'll get there. But uh, yes, I think how you're to, right. How to do something that is I got it. You know, is how to use social media without losing your mind. How to do something that you may know is harmful, but also is a part of life, or is a part of something you would have trouble giving up. But to harm reduction. Yes. My favorite my favorite of all terms in the mental health sphere is harm reduction because it meets people where they're at. Yes. Yes. Let's read some first so people, because yes. you read it already. I know, I know, I know. I'm just excited. Okay, cool. You want to read? Yeah. You've likely heard that using social media, especially in excess, can increase your risk of depression, anxiety, plunge your self-esteem, and may even impair your social skills. While some research shows this isn't always the case, many studies support the adverse effects of social media use combined with spending too much time online in general on our emotional, social, and physical health. No surprises here. Many factors account for the, how do you say this word? Deleterious. Deleterious, thank you. I can admit I have just no idea. I've read it many times, no idea how to say it. Effects of social media 
on our well-being. Among them, the exposure to an abundance of other people's curated images of material success and artificially filtered beauty, which prompts us to upwardly compare ourselves and conclude that we don't measure up. Yes. Very that, real. So real, especially especially in the entertainment industry, especially as So comedians. real. So tragic. Every day on Instagram, psychos, I just look at other comedians and and it's just like this comparison game that immediately makes you depressed. Everyone is on a show that you're not on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Everyone. It's it's completely bonkers. Yeah. Go, go ahead. It is kind of like being a teenage girl, but you're not. Yeah, it's like we're all teenage. We're all stuck now as teenage girls forever. Yeah, exactly. That's so tragic. Yeah. Uh, online, we miss out on the physical presence of people we know and trust. That is one I felt so acutely. I mean, everyone, everyone felt so acutely during the pandemic, but I am a sure. big physical presence person. Yeah, me too. Uh, even on phone, like even on non-social media, very different experience for me. Yeah. Um, physical presence of people we know and trust. I, I am a different person and I, I can feel, I can almost like feel my brain being different and less compassionate and less uh fair to people when i'm not in even on the phone i'm much i could like there's something that happens with whatever how i process things i yeah. am i am less of a, i'm less kind and less compassionate it's when i'm not in a physical presence with someone yeah i mean we're social creatures by nature and we need to physically be around each other yeah. for me and for me it's even true like on zoom if i can see a person's face which i'm sure accounts for part of it but for whatever reason uh, physical presence of people we know and trust, which helps, ah, which helps regulate yeah. our mood and can even increase our threshold for pain and being overwhelmed by an influx of information that taxes our cause cognitive processing abilities, increases our impulsivity and undermines our ability to focus. It does the focus thing, man. If I'm but, like trying to no. get something done and then I, I get sucked into the phone. It's like my brain has to like restart yeah. up in oh, order to yeah. get back into some, doing something creative or doing something that I need to do. Yeah. And does this, but, but does this mean we should abandon social media altogether? John would say yes. I mean, I if, would, if we, but if we, in an ideal world and in an ideal world, honestly, yes, social media probably should never have been created. Yeah. I mean, you can make the argument of it connecting people in some respect and like that sort of thing, but yeah, but I think you're overall probably in the I right, mean, we can't on the right even, side of history on this one. We, our brains are not even evolutionarily wired to be able to remember more than 250 people you know True. how the fuck are we going to deal with thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people that you're supposed to whatever I you get it just keep I get it. Just no keep no going. no you make a good point uh there's no you, you do make a good point there's a limit to to how many people you can conceive of as as human beings like with the yeah. compassion and the empathy thing i mean social media thing is we just, I just, I vent, we vent about it all the time. I think that it may be different for folks. Well, I guess there's so many folks in so many different fields of employment that need it now. Yeah, it is now. It's true. It has become ubiquitous. Yeah. Or at least very close. Yeah. Or more, more ubiquitous. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, keep reading. Yeah. Uh, now you sound kind of bummed out, man. Well, I just, cause I've just like reconciled myself to the reality that, I mean, I are taking social media. I'm on Instagram all fucking day. Mm, yeah. It's bonkers. Well, we'll get to a thing later in the article that made me, and maybe will help make you feel a little more optimistic. Also, we can, we can compare and contrast. We can do that later. We can compare and contrast our, oh yeah, our search section. I thought you were being sarcastic because of, 
it was saying this is all about comparing yourself to oh. people. <laughs> but yes, no, no, no. That was actually really, we should do that. Should we say what we're doing? Should we say it or say it later? Up to you. Your call. We'll do it later. Okay. Keep reading. Uh, we can, maybe we can, we can end it on that. Yeah. Does this mean we should abandon social media altogether? Some may wish to do so, but for those who prefer to stick around on the potentially toxic platforms, or as you referenced, um, feel professionally obligated to do so, here are six tips to navigate them without losing your mind. All right, here we go. Here we go, psychos. Filter out useless information. Unfollow or mute accounts that flood you with useless articles. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, you'll never believe what this celebrity looks like now. Or this one thing will eliminate your belly fat forever. <laughs> Turn off alerts from websites that bombard you with these headlines. Such posts are merely distracting noise that will likely contribute nothing to your productivity and peace and instead rob you of precious time, energy, and cognitive resources. What I want to say about this is that, yes, you should absolutely do that. Also, I found muting accounts of people... Even people that I that I like and know, if they're posting too much and it's putting me in a compare and contrast mm-hmm. uh, mindset, then I'll just mute them, not out of any sort of angst towards them, but just because it's it's like it's affecting yeah. my mood negatively. Absolutely, yeah, there, and I think that's a that's why muting is great, is because you don't have to do it in a way that's that people know about or that make them think you're mad at them. I I, I think that one is is. is so useful and it's also I, th- I think one of the challenges of it is that it does require effort and usually you know when you're on social media especially if you're in kind of a, a lower place your brain is so in the opposite place of of, of wanting to, to take the effort but it is so worth it when you do it you you do notice a difference to me this is technically social media i guess next door do you are you on next door no it's not a thing you think of as social media but it is so toxic in so many ways it's supposed to be for like emergencies in the neighborhood and like whether electricity line is down or like keeping parks it has this really idealistic purpose yeah but it it is all people like fighting and bickering and i joined it because i was trying to find like a a contractor or something or a a whatever and i didn't realize how it took me two months i was just getting the digest and i was like not bothering to unsubscribe because i was like i'm never gonna read this but i kept clicking on it because they were these like threads about things that that that, like pulled me in and i would spend 20 minutes like writing a comment to strangers about a thing i didn't know or care about and i finally like unsubscribed completely from it and i'm like oh that was so dumb and i thought that i would never get sucked into that but it came under the guise of next door and for some reason i thought that made it like community-based or worthy and that's wild unsubscribing was was Was, the right choice the right thing to do yeah so next part mute troublesome accounts perhaps it's the colleague always posting about her perfect marriage and family yeah that's kind of getting yeah it's it's kind of a version of that yeah or maybe it's the social justice warrior barking about the latest instance of misogyny they've read into an otherwise neutral interaction between two persons of the opposite sex having a calm conversation Maybe it's a news account blasting you with a 24-7 stream of human tragedy. That's my Twitter, dude. Mm, my Twitter mm-hmm. is just doom scrolling of news because it's all like, yeah. I was the most active on Twitter when I was on Redacted Tonight, which is this like radical political comedy show that I used to be on, Psychos. Um, and uh, so I had to pay attention to the news every day. And I also had to pay attention to like news that was, you know, outside the mainstream and inside the mainstream. So it was like following all the corporate news and the non-corporate Oof. news. 
So I was just like inundated with just like doom cycle after doom cycle. So now whenever I go on my Twitter, it's just like a, a shit show. Yeah. I, I'd have to unfollow like thousands of news accounts. Yeah, yeah. I'm um, on a show that's not that bad, but I have to follow a lot of, uh, so I know what you mean, on the, the Diplomat, the one I'm on now. Yeah. But yeah, so. Definitely ingesting more news than I, I normally would. Yeah. It's bad for your health. A lot. It's bad for your health. Yeah. Maybe depressed, man. It's fucked up. Yeah. Maybe it's a news account. Last you twenty percent stream of human tragedy. If the majority of an account's post makes you annoyed, angry, anxious, or otherwise distressed, mute them. Or even I'd say twenty five percent. If a quarter of somebody's posts, I'd yeah. maybe go ahead and mute them. They're not. Yeah, they're not worth the cognitive and emotional expenditure. This isn't to advocate avoiding the discomfort of reality's harsh truths and challenges. I like that sentence. <laughs> this isn't to advocate avoiding the discomfort of reality's harsh truths and challenges and the many people who embody such phenomena. But the internet is a simulacrum. Simulacrum? So that means like a, a so, sort of saying a simulation, but not. Yeah, of the real it's world. some fancier version of simulation than they could have clearly just said. Simulacrum. <laughs> Maybe it means like a warped, uh, a slightly warped simulation. Yeah. I'm just, yeah. That, I'm getting that from context good, only. I was going to say that is good context clue. Um, reading. Reading. Yeah. So you're smart. Mm. The internet is a sim, simulacrum <laughs> of the real world. Let me keep going. <laughs> Not the real world itself. And the latter guarantees us sufficient exposure to such truths and challenges. Save yourself the headache, heartache, and mood-demolishing impact of accounts (laughs) that exacerbate insecurities and unrest so you can shore up your emotional and cognitive resources to face the real stuff in person. This is good stuff. I agree. Nudge yourself in the right direction. Set time limits on the apps you use the most to ensure you're not losing precious hours uh, of productivity, sleep, or the quality time you could be spending with a loved one or engaged in, in an offline <laughs> endeavor like reading or getting outside. <laughs> that gets very specific. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Time-limited setting via the iPhone screen time app and setting your phone to grayscale mode have both been shown to help people reduce their screen time. Here are some other apps that help set limits. Oh, I can't. I, you can't click on that. But if you Google it, people, you'll you'll yeah. That's you'll get. It it's interesting the grayscale mode thing. Yeah, that's a real thing. I do not use it, but um. <laughs> yeah, I don't use it either. <laughs> but I know I know I've known people, and it does help. Your brain just is not as interested when the whole screen is like that is mm-hmm. grayscaled instead yeah. of all the colors. Yeah, because especially that blue, that blue light. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, that too. That fucks us up. Yeah, blue light like. Doesn't it, help, it makes it hard to fall asleep if you're looking at blue light at night because of it. It activates like uh, it doesn't allow for the for melatonin to. Can I ask a really dumb question? I've yeah. been hearing about blue light for so long, and I've never had like when they say blue light, is that like a specific spectrum, or is it literally just light that is blue? Uh, I mean, it's a, it's a spectrum, but that spectrum is going to be blue. Okay, so it's. If, like, let's say everything was red-toned on a computer screen, you, it would not have that effect. Uh, Theoretically. No, it would not have that effect. Because okay. I remember... I, I always kind of assumed it was, like, one of those things that's, like, kind of a fancy... that, But that's... When, sometimes things are what they are. When I was, like, 
So I was trying, at one point I was trying to work with this like naturopath. Like a, mm-hmm. Oh yeah. And, um, and part of the thing for what, for someone with bipolar disorder is to have a consistent sleeping pattern. It's really important. Yes. And right. so he suggested, and there's, and it's not just him suggesting it, that mm-hmm. like to wear blue blocker glasses mm-hmm. yes. a couple hours before going to bed, because that allows you to still say, watch something on TV, stare mm-hmm. at your screens or whatever, but it's blocking out the blue light. So it allows the melatonin in your brain to start mm-hmm. accumulating to help you fall asleep. Yeah, no, I, I that's very, then that's, that's very cool and a great strategy. I, I had heard of that. It was literally just, um, I didn't know whether it was literally that it was blue or if it was like some. That's my understanding. No, I think, I, I bet you're right. That's, I think um, I'm right. I just never had the. Um, okay. Let's, yeah. Let's see let's what we got going. here. Here's yeah. some other. Okay. Do you want to read Don't Feed the Trolls? Sure. An important one. If someone harasses you or another person online, threatens violence, or swamps you with misinformation, report them as needed and do not engage. Yeah, I never engage with the trolls. It's so hard to not sometimes. So I totally, but you it's just so bad. As Anastasia uh, Kozevra and colleagues describe in a paper on how to critically ignore extraneous information online, individuals who engage in trolling are motivated by negative social power and their trolling behavior is reinforced by the adverse impact their actions have, annoying and upsetting people. To fight back, one needs to withdraw that negative social reward, thereby diminishing trolls' motivation to engage in antisocial behavior. There you go. That's the thing. You're not going to give them what they want. I like that. Withdraw that negative social reward. So think about that. By by not responding, you're being proactive in fucking them over from what they want. You want to read the next section? Sure. So the next one, be intentional. What exactly do you want from social media? Entertainment or amusement? A genuine place to connect or learn? A mental break from the world? A means to build your brand? These are <laughs> A mental all- break from work, <laughs> not from the world. Yeah. Oh, from oh, is it the world? <laughs> yeah, yeah, That's yeah. A funny. All right. Um, well, maybe you want a mental... I want a mental break from the world sometimes. That's Yeah, that's funny. A mental break from work uh, means to build your brand. These are all fine goals, but they should be kept in mind when browsing and interacting since it's too easy to lose track of them and get sucked into the digital or virtual interpersonal rabbit holes. Before opening a social media app, clarify your intention for your use of it to ensure you stay on track with any goals that its use is trying to serve. This can aid you in ignoring irrelevant information and interactions while increasing your sense of control and agency. This is, I just have to say that this is why this is my favorite article. I read this this morning and since then I have before opening, all I've tried to do is just identify what I'm going to do on it. And I've only looked at Instagram twice today and I usually look, I would say 15, 20 times easily. Yeah. It, I don't, I don't know, you know, how long that will stick, but that to me was crazy that I had just never thought of that. To just think ahead of time Before what your it. intention is. What am that I supposed? Yeah, use. why am I opening it? And not even like forbidding myself from doing it if I don't have anything to do, but just being like, what am I looking? Because I'm always like, I'm looking. Because in my mind, I'm like, I'm looking for shows. Or I need to be posting things. I need to be aware of what's going on. But like when I stopped every time today, I was just like, am I looking to go to a show tonight? Am I waiting to get a response from someone? Am I going to? And I was like, oh no, I'm not. I'm just looking at it. Yeah, I'm just looking at it. Yeah, that's a good thing to that that I'm gonna try to do that too. It was why well, again I don't know. Sometimes you get those things they don't they don't hold, but um yeah I mean I would easily check it more than ten times a day, no question. At work, you know, just like yeah, also memory. I, I check it throughout. Like uh, I'm always looking for. You know the thing that gets me mm-hmm. is 
the uh, the little red dots for like of uh, for the notifications. I I have the, I do have the notifications completely turned off for Instagram. So you don't get the, I get none zero. Otherwise, I don't know. I don't. I would. I would just would be too hard. Yeah, I get some of the not all the notifications, yeah. but some of them. I have. I have zero. Like I get the, if I get a DM, I get it. I should actually. That's one I should have on. <laughs> yeah. Um, I have them all off. I, I I have most of them off, but yeah. I'll finish up this section. One warning, uh, though, if your goal is to escape negative emotions through social media use, you're more likely to use it in a way that actually worsens your mood and anxiety. If you're having trouble dealing with negative emotions, consider these tips. Again, you can't click, but Google uh, on what to do with them before logging into social media. That's a very similar thing to um, to alcohol, having a healthy relationship with alcohol, which I I enjoy drinking. I, John, you do you do not drink? No, you know that. Yeah, I, no, no. I was just saying, like, but yeah. I I I um I do drink. One of the things that is very, very important to me in terms of having a healthy relationship with alcohol is not drinking in response to feeling sad. That's great. Because it's a depressant. So I really strictly try to only drink as a means of like when I am happy and celebrating and or like with friends doing something I like. But if I am in a low mood, I that is what time I really try to not engage with alcohol at all. So yeah, so you... You try not to use it as like some sort of misguided form of therapy. Or yeah, specifically as a response to feeling low because it will make you, like this is saying, you will go into it with the idea that like when it, because you might, when you are using alcohol and you're happy, you have these positive associations of it. But when you use it, when you're in a negative space, much like social media, if you go into it in a negative space, it's not going to lift you up. It's going to bring you further down. Yeah. It's like, it's like being in a ma- bad mental state and taking mushrooms or something like that. Yeah, it's exactly. going to have all of these same effects. It's just going to exacerbate. Exactly. It's going to exacerbate where, exactly. That's why I think if you use alcohol, pos- the positive alcohol use that you can have comes from using it when you are in a good place and happy, it's really, really unlikely to have a, a positive outcome or a good, a, even a neutral outcome using alcohol when you are low. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. And I think it's good that you have that perspective on it. Yeah. You know, and I'm definitely going to be like, okay, why am I going on to this social media app right now? Yeah. Do I have an intention? What is my intention? I'm going to fulfill that intention and then I'm going to get out. Yeah. Why? Otherwise, I'm just like clicking on there. Right. I think also I just, I'm, I noticed just because I kept reflecting on it, I was like, what if there's some opportunity for a fun thing? And I'm like, that's not what I'm looking for. You know what I mean? I, it's a, it's just a idea that, like you were saying about the red dots, there's just this idea that maybe there's a notification that will be something. Yeah. It's not. It's just going to be somebody's photo. Yeah, or it's just going to be, for me, it'll be like, it feels good, but it'll be a stranger liking oh, yeah. a clip of my stand-up. Right. And that is nice. Yeah, yeah, it is nice. But I don't need to compulsively, I shouldn't have to compulsively be looking for that to elevate my mood. Yes, well said. You know, all right, I'm going to keep reading. Yeah, great. Positively engage. The more we passively scroll through social media, that's what we're mm-hmm. kind of talking about, the more unhappy we become as we use it. By contrast, when we positively engage with people, 
on social media, we end up feeling better. Now that is good. That is true. Mm-hmm. Like I'll have DM conversations with people that are worthwhile and interesting and valid, you know? Yeah. If you'd yeah. like to come away from Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, or any other social media app feeling a bit better and more connected with others, consider finding ways to offer other users encouragement and validation and share helpful and supportive messages. There you go. You know, is social media bound to make us miserable? Social media (laughs) use isn't an inherent threat to our mental health, provided we use it wisely and within moderation. How we engage with social media has a substantial impact on how good or bad it makes us feel. Reducing the amount of time we spend on social media, engaging positively with others when we do use it, as well as filtering out harmful or useless information and accounts can go a long way towards improving our online experience as well as our offline well-being. This is a good piece. Yeah, I really like this one. Well, n- nice, nice pick. Which one did you like better, this one or the one about um, attachment figures? <laughs> I'm just kidding. Um, but uh, we know what we should do. We should show, we should do a compare and contrast. Okay, so I was hanging out with Juliana, mm-hmm. psychos, I was hanging out with Juliana the other night we were at a show and then after the show we were talking about social we were talking about these articles we're talking about social media and she said that she kind of has gamed the algorithm <laughs> somewhat on her instagram in the uh search section because of the things that she searched the search terms she's used the things that come up for her are very soothing mm-hmm. and are things that she likes to look at compared to me who has never really used Instagram for search. So I just get the generic sort of weird thing that the algorithm is not have enough information to give me. Mm-hmm. So mine is very sort of a little bit, not unsettling, but just not really particularly interesting to look at or fun. And it's just kind of weird. And uh, Juliana's is like absolutely delightful. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And it's um, it's what you search and then it's also what you what you click on articles like you know the algorithm goes after everything you do on all the metadata da, da, da. so um just be conscious of what you what you click on um because it all feeds into what you see so for example on on my search i have a lot of orcas i have a lot of in high uh very high uh wave big wave um ski videos so you got orcas and ski videos. Uh, does. I've got oh, I've got a tiger wrestling with a dog. Tiger wrestling with a dog. I got a picture of Bill Clinton. I got Tom Cruise with some random lady giving him a hug. I got I got stuff that I don't care about at all. Yeah. Oh my god, I've got so many tigers, and I it's there's stuff on here that there's stuff. It's it's really what you what you click on. Uh, it feeds it into, but yeah, when I, when I open my search, it's very calming. There's a shark. I've got a bunch of random people. I have no idea who they are. Mine is just a a generic mess. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So that, that helps because when I, when I open Instagram late at night, instead of, of seeing people's like, instead of just kind of scrolling, I go to the search and then I, I do find that kind of mental break from the world or work. The, um, but it's like, it's all, all animal videos <laughs> see that's awesome um, and not ones of people's pets because i find those actually kind of distracting and annoying because people always put music and it, then it becomes about them and it's yeah. like wild wild animal videos so this is how fucked i am just from our little experiment of going to the search i went to my ats and looked at 
the red dots of who liked my reels from when since we started. <laughs> I fucked up. Mm-hmm. Did you have that intention? Did you? I don't know. Yeah. But yeah, so that is a way. That those are some really good tips, psychos, for how uh, you can use social media without losing your mind. Mm-hmm. I think that's worthwhile. We learned so. Okay, so today we learned about the difference between authenticity and how you can be both authentic, authentic, <laughs> and dishonest at mm-hmm. the same time. Uh, we learned about traumatic early attachment figures, <laughs> and we had problems with that article. <laughs> and uh, we learned how to use social media without losing your mind and we so, loved that article and we all we both loved that article and i i hope you guys got some takeaways from this i hope that you can utilize some of these tips if you're uh if you're dealing with social media issues i really do think so, that is yeah. is a good idea the idea of having intent mm-hmm. with what you're going to look at and next time you go on social media make sure your intent is to follow us follow us on social media the ultimate paradox yeah. um yeah, guys, limit your social media usage, psychos, but definitely follow us. Yeah, um, but I have found that when I one of the things that helps curate and keep my my social media is when I'm looking at not people I know and not, uh, but but things that like there are some accounts that I really do enjoy. Like there's some cartoonists that I really do enjoy, and I have enjoyable times on Instagram when I just go to their accounts. You know. Yeah, I, I do too. I do yeah, too. Yeah, yeah no, know? that's what I'm saying. Like, those are, are good ways to direct yourself if you want to take a break. And those are. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Good ways to use it positively. Yeah, I think, I think honestly, my, my gripe about social media is not unique at all. It's basically, as a comedian, it's a frustrating thing to like have to mm-hmm. invest so much of your creative energy and just psychological bandwidth oh, totally. into this thing. When what you would prefer, or at least what I would prefer artistically, would be to just just be able to build stand up. Yeah, you know? absolutely. But absolutely. it's just the way it is. Yeah. It's just the way it is. It sucks, but yeah. But yeah. So all right, psychos. All right. We've been we've been good. We're going a little bit long this week, but that's okay. We're doing great. Um let's see. Should I do the plugs, Juliana? Just yeah, say yes. Sure. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Sorry. Okay. Yes. <laughs> I was trying to remember if you did them already, but then I forgot. I was like, yes. Cool. Okay. So everybody, send us an email. Say hello. Uh, TakeYourPillsPod at gmail.com. Follow us on, on uh, social media at you at Juliana underscore Maher. Yes. Um, also, uh, get on our newsletter, jfodnews.com. Uh, uh, support us on Patreon, patreon.com slash jfod. As you guys know, I lost my copywriting job. Let's make it happen. Help me out. Help out, John. <laughs> and also, please rate and review the podcast and spread the word. Spread the word. Be kind to yourselves. Set boundaries. Set intentions. Oh, I like that. Thank you. Be kind to yourself. Set boundaries. Set intentions. We're gonna, we might have to use that again. Yeah, but don't tell my mom because she'd be too proud of me for using that very constructive language. Oh, no. We'll get, we're, oh, we're going to get we're into gonna that. We're going to get into that next time or maybe Maybe, maybe next. I feel like yeah, we have to do time. it next time. Yeah, because, I, did, I did kind of tease it. I did yeah, you did it. tease it. So, guys, psychos, make sure to listen next week <laughs> because we are going to talk about Juliana's complex relationship with her parents. Oh, this is going to be fun. Yes. Or some therapists. Okay, uh, so this has been another episode of Take Your Pills, Psychopath, the comedy podcast that exploits mental illness for personal profit. What? Trademark. I've been John F. O'Donnell here with... Juliana Maher. Thank you so much for listening, psychos. Enjoy your day, afternoon, evening, night, wherever you are. Goodbye. Love you guys. Bye.